Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. Continuing this year as we're working our way through the Gospels and we are getting to know Jesus better and uh, some of the sayings that he has here are uh, somewhat difficult and so this morning we're we'll looking at a difficult passage. Have you ever been uh, humiliated in your life? I have. It's no joy. My face turns red. My adrenaline starts pumping. My fight or flight instinct kicks in. And when it happens, I become so embarrassed sometimes that I want to hurt someone or hide far away. Well, Southwest Airlines has made millions on the catchphrase, want to get away? Their TV ads show people in humiliating situations. And at the end of the ad, the voiceover asks this question, want to get away? And then offers the best way to flee, obviously, on their particular airlines. One of my favorites of their commercials shows a woman, uh, she's a guest at a home and her friend is out there in the living room and she goes into the bathroom and she's talking to her friend in the living room, hey, did you remodel in here? And she opens up the medicine cabinet, she starts snooping around in the med medications and she goes to set one back on the shelf and the whole glass thing comes crashing down and smashing into the sink there. And then the catchphrase, wanna get away? <laughs> well, she definitely wanted to get away in that moment but sometimes you can't get away from humiliating situations. You have to face them head on. And in our text today, we see four separate humiliating situations. Jesus is instructing his disciples here and us about the proper response to them. Just a bit of a warning here. This sermon is going to make you uncomfortable. And at some point, you may want to get away. <laughs> But please stick with me until the end because after I'm done preaching, I have uh, some free tickets from Southwest Airlines for you to get away on. So, <laughs> no. First, we see here, it's humiliating to be assaulted. The first situation here that Jesus instructs his disciples about is being slapped in the face. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, then offer him the left as well. And this has to be a shocking teaching here because the Old Testament instructed the Jews in regard to this very issue. And Jesus is drawing attention to it. He used to say, eye for eye. And Jesus is citing here the law of Moses given in Leviticus 24, 19 through 20. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And so this retaliation was carried out by the judicial system. A man or woman who was assaulted would bring a case before the judge, 
And if the defendant was found guilty, whatever they had done to the victim was done to them. And the purpose for this law was, first of all, preventative. If someone was thinking about assaulting their neighbor, knowledge about the fact that they would be assaulted hopefully prevented them or stopped them from carrying that out. The second purpose of the law had to do with justice or payback. And so why the change here? Why does Jesus change this? Why does Jesus tell his followers that they were no longer to act this way? They were no longer to have eye for eye, tooth for tooth, fracture for fracture. Well, I believe that the main reason he instructed his disciples in this way was because he wanted them to experience firsthand the humiliation that he went through. He was beaten mercilessly by evil men. And the amazing thing is that he had unlimited power to be able to stop it from happening. He could have restrained evil by calling upon 12 legions of angels to bring swift justice upon them. We see some of his mistreatment recorded in Matthew 26, verses 67 through 68. Then they, the Jewish leaders, spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that has struck you? One definition given for humility is power under constraint. And if this is an accurate definition, then Jesus must have been the most powerful and most humiliated being in the history of the world. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so, as his followers, you might find yourself being reviled. You might be even physically assaulted. But according to Jesus' teachings, you are not to strike back. Now, at this point, I'm sure there are a hundred questions that are going through your mind. Questions like, am I never supposed to defend myself? Or, are you encouraging pacifism, Pastor Scott? Or, should Christians never join the army or the police force? Or, what am I supposed to do if my children are in danger? To answer these questions, I would like to draw upon the wisdom of teachers that are smarter than myself. Listen to some of the following quotes. Lenski, in his commentary on this particular passage, states, The law is not placed into our hands, but is taken out of them. The very God who placed that law and its execution where it belongs, into the hands of the government, places another law and its execution, the law of love, into the hearts of Christ's disciples. He goes on to say that rather than to give way to anger when struck unjustly on the right cheek, or in anger to even strike back on the principle of eye for eye, the disciple who has Christ's love in his heart will turn the other cheek for a second blow that otherwise would not be struck. There are many Christians down through history who have been unfairly treated because of their faith. Corey Tenboom who was imprisoned by the Nazis in the concentration camps, began ministering the love of God around the world upon her release. She tells a story about a man in Africa. I quote, 
Thomas was a tall black man who lived in a round hut together with his big family in the middle of Africa. He loved the Lord and he loved people, an unbeatable combination. Thomas's neighbor who lived across the dirt street hated God, hated men like Thomas who loved God. The hatred grew stronger and stronger until the man began sneaking over at night and setting fire to the straw roof of Thomas's hut, endangering his small children. Three nights in a row this happened, and each time Thomas was able to rush out of his hut and put out the flames before they destroyed the roof and the walls. The fact that he never said an unkind word to his neighbor made his neighbor hate him even more. One night, the neighbor snuck over across the street and set fire to Thomas's roof again. This night, however, a strong wind came up, and as Thomas rushed to beat out the fire, the sparks blew across the street and set the neighbor's house on fire. Thomas finished putting out the fire of his roof and then rushed across the street to put out his fire on his neighbor's roof. He was able to extinguish the flames, but in the process, he badly burned his arms. Justice is good, and we should seek it whenever we can. But the love and mercy of God triumphs justice in every way. Next, we see it's humiliating to be unjustly accused. We see here Jesus teaches his disciples that if someone sues them for their tunic or their shirt, they should give them also their cloak or their coat as well. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 19 through 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. In doing this, we again exemplify the life of Jesus. Many people in the world do not recognize Jesus as Lord or even as a friend. They continually take with him, take from him, without the slightest hint of gratitude. Included in this group is you and I. Many times we fail to recognize the goodness of God and how much he has done for us. We find ourselves saying, Lord, I know that you've done all of this in the past for me, but what have you done for me lately? When we are unjustly sued and then have to give our, our, our accusers beyond what they're suing for, we begin to experience on a small scale what it must be like to be God. In these examples, we see that it is one thing to quietly and peacefully accept abuse or false accusation. It's quite another thing to volunteer to double up on what is perpetrated, a second slap or another more essential item of clothing. This theme continues in Jesus' next example. It's humiliating to be forced to do things that you don't want to do. Jesus tells his disciples that if someone forces you to go a mile with them, then you are to voluntarily go another additional mile. This practice had its beginnings in the Persian career system. From it, we derive the term to be pressed into service. If a courier was delivering a message for the emperor, they could take whatever they needed to aid them on their trip, whether it was an animal, food, shelter, money, or even the aid of individuals. 
In the Roman Empire, soldiers and Roman citizens could demand that subjects from conquered lands carry their pack for one mile, but no further. Again, we see the doubling up principle here set forth by Christ. If you are forced to go one mile, volunteer to go another mile. In our modern language, we call this going the extra mile. There's no great sacrifice in meeting the minimum of what's required of you. Love occurs when you determine to go beyond the minimum. And there are so many opportunities to do these things all around us. I'm going to give you one example of someone that was always going the extra mile. His name was Ken Howell. Ken was the treasurer at St. Ansgar's in California where I was the pastor, but he passed away from a, an aggressive brain tumor while I was there. Now, according to St. Ansgar's bylaws, the treasurer was only supposed to serve for six years. However, in like most churches, we had difficulty finding a new treasurer. And so Ken agreed to continue on another mile, and then another mile, and then another mile. I think by the time I had gotten there, he was serving for like 21 years as the treasurer. He was always the first to jump in and do the dishes after the potlucks. He served on the usher board and the communion service board. He attended almost every event that was held at the church. Ken loved the Lord, and that love for Jesus spilled over into his life in the congregation. He was always looking for ways to go the extra mile. And finally, we see here that it's humiliating to have someone beg from you. I'm sure that this has happened to you dozens of times. You're out running an errand, you're going to the grocery store or something, when out of the corner of your eye, you see some homeless guy sitting there by the entrance. First, they look at you, and at this moment, you look down at your wallet or your keys or a piece of lint in your hand because you don't want to look them in the eye. Then, audaciously, the person says, excuse me, could you spare some change? Now, if you're like me, a number of thoughts begin to run through your mind. I can't give this person money. They're probably going to just buy drugs or booze with it. Or... I wish this business would get on the ball and chase these homeless people off. They are adversely affecting my shopping experience. Or, why doesn't this person get a job? They look able-bodied. Or, thank God I don't have any cash on me so I don't have to lie to them. Well, all of these thoughts bring back a famous section in Dickens' classic, The Christmas Carol. Two gentlemen arrive at Ebenezer Scrooge's counting house and ask for a donation. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this Christmas time because it's the time, when, all, above all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you asked me what I wish, gentlemen, this is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people poor, uh, merry either. I support the union workhouses and the debtor prisons. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Well, many can't go there, and they would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. 
Well, it can be humiliating to have someone beg from you, for both them and for you. But what is Christ teaching here? Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It's at this point that I wish Jesus would have gone on in his teaching and said, now, of course, obviously, I don't mean to give to some beggar who's obviously drunk or high. I wish he would have said, of course, I don't mean you should loan money to somebody who can't pay you back. But he doesn't say those things. He just stops talking. And he lets his words hang there in the air before the wide-eyed crowd How is it that Jesus had such authority to say these kinds of things? He had authority because he was not a hypocrite. He didn't demand things of others that he wouldn't do himself. Because Jesus gives to everyone who asks of him. In Matthew 7, 7 he says, Ask and you shall receive. He doesn't say, Ask and if you're deserving you will receive, because no one deserves the gifts of God. We have all been stained with sin, and we all need cleansing. In conclusion this morning, even though we may want to get away when we're faced with certain humiliating circumstances, how we react to them determines whether we are walking according to the flesh or whether we are walking according to the Spirit. And as a believer, the Spirit of God dwells within you. The Spirit of God wants to do those things. Wants to turn the other cheek. Wants to reach out and feed the poor. Wants to be in situations where it can demonstrate the love of Christ. And so, you can suppress the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. I know this has happened to you. Where you've been in circumstances, there's a homeless guy, and you feel something in you go, you know, I really should go buy this guy a sandwich or something, but you know, i got to get to my thing here. And you pass on by. You just quench the Holy Spirit. You just resisted the Holy Spirit in that moment. And you can defend your rights when you're unjustly sued. You can lash out at somebody who accuses you. But if we claim to be followers of Christ and refuse to follow his instructions, as hard as they may seem, how are we any different than the Pharisees? This is what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to help ease their burden. I pray that we are the kind of church that are doers and not just hearers. You can sit here and, nice sermon, Pastor Scott, and walk right out of here and do the same exact thing you've been doing over and over again. Or you can heed the words of Christ and begin to take action in your lives. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your hand would be upon us in these circumstances where we are reviled and sued, slapped, humiliated. Lord, circumstances where we know what we're supposed to do, but our flesh rises up against it. Lord, give us the power and the strength in those moments to be like you, 
one who was humiliated for our sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.